Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have eternal life. Amen. How do you and I know what to believe anymore? We have access to more information than ever. It is more conveniently consumed than ever, but that only means that we are also the recipients of curated propaganda at all times. Every day we are met with this constant stream of indoctrination. I'm not necessarily saying that these technologies are bad things, but you turn on your television, you listen to your favorite music, you read your social media feed, and all of these are channels through which you and I are being fed a a, a steady diet of lies by those who either believe these lies themselves or those who are actually willfully lying to us. The fire hose of news cycles over the past I don't know, five plus years has had this weird effect on us. We talk about it just about every week. We're all buried in the news and what's going on around the world. We're able to access all this information, stuff that we didn't have access to before, and I think it's driving us insane. I constantly second guess, I constantly second guess the the, the information that I'm looking at, whether it's actually real or not. How do I know that what I'm looking at is real? The devil is the father of lies. He wants us to believe lies about God, lies about ourselves, lies about the world. To believe a lie and to live within that lie is one of the worst tragedies. And the devil is very good at crafting them. He wants you to ask the question, did God actually say? Did God actually say that? We have these very real threats from without that can do a great deal of harm to our faith. But to make it even worse, we have threats from within. We have these voices of doubt, fear, skepticism, unbelief, mistrust. Voices that come from our sinful flesh that by nature wants to doubt God's word. So when God calls a spade a spade, what we say in our sinful nature is, club. Can we talk about cards in church? I didn't know if that was a faux pas or not. Anyway, when God calls a spade a spade, we say clubs. And this skepticism towards God's word, which we often call reason, It creeps into our theology. It creeps into our understanding of God. And we end up asking questions like, did Jesus really rise again from the dead? And is that really his body and blood? Or does baptism really save? And we dispense with all that God promises to do in favor of a more rationalistic, highly spiritualized Jesus who is more concerned about our moral living than he is with actually fulfilling any of his promises that he makes. We dispense with what Jesus promises to do, the things that he actually promises to accomplish tangibly in our lives in the name of reason. This skepticism that we have, this distrust of God's word. But God comes to us today. He comes to us again to say that whenever He says something, church, He means it. And His Word accomplishes that which He sets it out to do. 
This is how this works. And in today's Old Testament lesson from Genesis, we see that Abram struggled to take God at his word. We can empathize with him, and we will. But this, is what, this was the struggle, right? Though he believed God, Abram's story actually bears out that he often wanted to add to God's promise. He wanted to do something to earn it, or perhaps he wanted to do something that would get the wheels turning on the whole thing. He wanted to help God out. Maybe, God, you need a little bit of assistance to bring this thing to fruition. Good news, I, Abram, am here to help you. <laughs> he, had his own, he had his own competing voices to wrestle with. In Genesis 12, he was actually called out of paganism. Abram was called out of false worship, worship of foreign gods, these demonic creations of men that all they could do is tell lies. The pagan gods could not deliver, nor could they actually serve men. They could only be served by men, often at the cost of human sacrifice. But God called Abram out of that, and he made him the promise of offspring and land, and Abram heeded the call. He believed God and demonstrated that by following God into the land that God revealed. But several years later, we get to Genesis 15. Abram and Sarai, this was their names at the time before they would become Abraham and Sarah. Abram and Sarai, they were still without their promised child. They were growing old in years. The clock was ticking. Abram, I don't know if they have mirrors back then. They probably had something like mirrors. Abram's looking at himself in the mirror, seeing those wrinkles get deeper. He's looking at his, uh, his lovely bride, and uh, the clock is not turning backwards, right? Time is ticking. Something's up. God promised us offspring. Abram had just defeated this huge uh, horde of foreign raiders. He rescued his nephew Lot and several others who had been taken captive. And then at the end of chapter 14, there was this mysterious priest king named Melchizedek that we don't know a whole lot about. But he, bl he blessed Abram uh, which fulfilled God's promise to bless Abram, all right? So there was that. That checks the box. The priest king comes and, it, it comes and does it. Uh, but where was the boy? Where is this promised offspring that God, had, prom that, that God had, had told him about, right? Where was the son? He said, God, you have given me no offspring and a member of my household will be my heir. In other words, look, God, I, I know that you promised, but it's been a pretty long time in coming. He even suggested that Eliezer, the house servant, be his son. <laughs> the house steward, that will be my son. How about that? Even though that's not what God had in mind. And in his struggle with his unbelief, Abram thought it was necessary to help God out to help move things along. He, he thought that he might bring something to the table so that God could keep his promise. And later in chapter 16, Sarai fell into the same trap. What did she do? She, she gave to her husband, her, uh, her house servant, Hagar, so that she might lie with him so that they could help God out with this whole offspring situation. <laughs> same trap. And again, they learned that it doesn't work that way. God didn't need their help in his plan of redemption. He doesn't need your help and he doesn't need my help. 
That's what this plan is, by the way, the plan of redemption, right? The promise that God made to Abram of offspring and land was for the sake of bringing forth the Messiah who was to come and to bring salvation and blessing to all nations through his life, his death, and his resurrection. That's what this promise is about. This lineage of Abram, this messianic bloodline was how God was going to fix everything that was wrong with the universe. And everything hinged upon this promise. No one took this promise more seriously than God. So while Abram was wrestling with his doubt and while he was wrestling with these competing voices with his own soul, while he wondered whether God was actually out of, out of his mind or whether God was all talk, God instead took Abram outside to look at the stars. In other words, he took him outside of himself and his own struggles and his own dealings, his own internal conflict, and he pointed him to a sign of the promise. Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. God accompanied his promise with this sign, something that Abram could grab a hold of and always return to. This is what he was to lay hold of, this promise through this sign. And Abram believed the Lord, and it was counted to him as righteousness. This is so key in the scriptures, by the way. This is the main passage that St. Paul uses in his teaching on justification. That is... How are we declared righteous in God's sight? How are we deemed not guilty? How do we get to be made right before God? That's justification. How was Abram made righteous? By keeping the law? No, it was by believing God, by taking Him at His word. Declared righteous by taking God at His word. Martin Luther saw righteousness as synonymous with faith. He said, righteousness is nothing else than believing God when he makes a promise. They are the same thing. So for you to be righteous, you take God at his word. It's, this, it's no different. Abram also realized that he didn't have his land yet either, did he? He didn't have his baby boy and he didn't have his land. So in verse 8, he said to God, he said, how am I to know that I shall possess the land? Now we're getting into verses 7 through 21. I would suggest you go read it later today if you have time. We didn't read it earlier. But God answered him again. He said, uh, he answers Abram. And this time what he does is he literally cuts a covenant. It's a very fascinating portion of scripture. He had Abram bring these sacrificial animals and, uh, and actually cut them in half, everything except the birds. This was an ancient practice that suggested this. It suggested that if I break this covenant, may this be what happens to me. That's what it meant. And to emphasize this point, that God requires no assistance whatsoever in the making, the keeping, and the application of his promises, he waits until Abram falls asleep. Abram falls asleep and God speaks to him. He foretells how, uh, how Abram's offspring are going to spend 400 years in Egypt. How God is going to punish the Egyptians. And he also explains how Abram himself is actually going to go on to die this peaceful, quiet life. 
But then in verse 17, something awesome happens. God himself passes through the pieces of the sacrifice. God passes through the pieces of the sacrifice. And what is Abram doing? He is literally lying there sleeping. This was God's promise to make. It was his to keep and it was his to apply. Abram was just a passive recipient of this blessing. He believed God and he was counted righteous. We, like Abram, struggle with adding our own efforts and our own works to God's promise. But he shows us that it is he who delivers the promise, it is he who fulfills it, and it is he who applies it to us. And by believing the promise, we are counted righteous through Jesus and made sons of Abraham. We are justified for Christ's sake. That same promise has come to baby Arthur today in the waters of holy baptism as he has now been made God's own child. He's been made a son of Abraham through faith in Jesus. That doesn't fit with our rationalistic thinking. You might be thinking, you know, well, babies cannot have faith and therefore they cannot benefit from baptism. And therein lies our impulse to turn faith into a work. As if we must contribute something, as if we must meet God in the middle, otherwise it's not going to work. Remember his covenant with Abram. How he cut it while Abram was sleeping. The word and promise of God has come to Arthur. The Holy Spirit is given through the word. And, through, uh, uh, and, and even though faith in the heart is hidden to us and we can't see it, we can be assured that Arthur trusts in the promises of his God as much as he trusts in the voice of his mommy and daddy. God gives us his Holy Spirit who causes us to trust him and his promises, which causes us to take God at his word. This is the gospel. And it's always better than you think. It's always better than you think. As I told the kids earlier, God is always above and beyond anything that we think or imagine. His grace is so much more than we can even begin to understand. You see, God's promises come to us accompanied by signs so that we might have something tangible to cling to, so that we might take God at his word. It's not this water in the font that saves, but it is the word of God in and with the water and the faith which clings to the word of God in the water from the small catechism. And we know from Scripture that the very faith that you and I have is not our own doing, but it is a gift of God so that no one would boast. You don't have reason to stand before God and say, Lord, I made a great decision for you. It's actually, no, He brought you into His kingdom. It was His doing. He gave you faith. Even Abram's faith was a gift of God. It was faith that was created and sustained by the word of promise. And though he wrestled with unbelief throughout his life, Abram was counted righteous in God's sight because he believed God's promise. So while you may be plagued with uh, doubts and concerns about whether God is all talk, especially in light of your news feed, it's good that you're here. 
because this is where he wants you. Just like he took Abram outside to see the stars, that's what you're here for. Just like he had Abram fall asleep so that he might give to Abram a covenant that God would not forsake, that's what you are here for. The promises of God that come accompanied by signs that we can see, hear, taste, touch, so that we might take God at his word. Every time you come into this place and you confess your sins and you receive the absolution, you have heard God's voice. You are justified for the sake of Christ. Making you that promise that your sins are forgiven and that through faith in that promise, you are counted righteous. You've returned to your baptism today as you've witnessed God calling one of his other children to himself. That promise, that same promise that has come to baby Arthur is yours as well today. It's alive and well and it's freely given to you. And in just a moment, you will come to the Lord's table where you can take him at his word again. Whenever he says, this is my body and blood given and shed for you for the forgiveness of sins, we say, Amen. And though we will continue to struggle in this life, we struggle with skepticism and doubt, unbelief because of our sinful flesh, we have all the proof, all the proof that we need that God is trustworthy. We have only to look at his cross. The cross and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ, we can know for sure that he will never lie to us whenever he tells us that we are justified. We look to the cross where Abraham's true seed, the Lord Jesus, took our sins upon himself and was raised three days later so that we would be declared righteous. And that's the very thing that Abram and all the other Old Testament guys, that's what they believed, even though they had yet to see it. Hebrews 11, our epistle lesson today. They were saved by faith in that promise. They took God at his word, even though the fulfillment of it was far off from them. But you and I, we have the benefit of a full revelation of God's redemptive plan in Christ, that plan to reconcile the world to himself. He has shown himself faithful to you time and again in your life. But even more importantly than that, he has shown himself faithful through his son who loves you so much that he gave himself for you. And it is he who speaks this word of promise to you here and now because of his death and his resurrection. You are righteous. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. Amen.